Chapter Two of Wise and Otherwise. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Wise and Otherwise by Pansy. Chapter Two. And who knoweth whether he shall be a wise man or a fool? Mr. Tresevant sat in his pleasant study, sermon in hand, reading it over preparatory to preaching it in his own church, his first sermon to that people since he became their pastor. The day was perfect, a June Sabbath in all the freshness and sweet-scentedness and sunniness that June can sometimes array herself in. In the next room Mrs. Tresevant could be heard stepping quietly about, humming now and then a scrap of melody, stopping in the middle of a word as if in perplexity. In truth she was. On this most pure and quiet of Sabbath mornings she was occupied with the old, bewildering question, Wherewithal shall I be clothed? Presently she pushed open the separating door and sought counsel. Carol, what shall I wear to-day? Mr. Tresevant did not glance up from his manuscript, did not take his thoughts entirely away from his sermon, but there floated dreamily before him the vision of a fair and graceful form clad in white lawn, with little touches of sky-blue set here and there. He could not tell where or how, only he knew the dress impressed him as eminently fit and proper. This vision did not take name. He was too busy with his sermon to inquire whence it came, but he answered his wife in a dreamy way, Oh, something simple. A low, soft laugh gurgled up from Mrs. Tresevant's throat. I believe that is the sum and substance of your knowledge and taste on the subject, she said good-humoredly. Wouldn't you like now to have me wear a white dress with pink ribbons? I should think it might be very pretty, the minister answered, continuing the last word into the next sentence of his sermon, thereby making a strange mixture. There! triumphantly from mrs minister i thought as much now i would have you know you stupid creature that people of taste and sense don't wear white to church unless indeed they are in the country and even then i hardly consider it admissible again there floated that vision of white lawn or whatever the material might have been gingham for aught he knew but white certainly pure and spotless white was that inadmissible to be sure lewiston was much more country than newton but then she looked so very— Here the minister stopped abruptly and gave close attention to his sermon. He began to be dimly conscious who the vision was. Mrs. Tresevant waited a reasonable length of time for a reply to her last sentence, and receiving nothing more definite than a line or two of sermon, drew the door to with a suddenness that betokened a slight touch of impatience, and returned to silent meditation before the bed. That bed was a wonder to behold. The white spread had entirely disappeared beneath a mound of billowy silk. No wonder the fair owner thereof was puzzled. There was a suit of dazzling heavenly blue, trimmed, skirt over skirt basque flounce, with rows upon rows of amazing white lace. There was a suit of the most delicate lavender, made brilliant and startling with its contrasted trimmings of blue. There was a suit of summer silk, of that rare and delicate tint and stripe that suggests a faint neutral apology for the otherwise almost white shining mass. This, too, was made absolutely wonderful with the amount and bewilderment of flounce and puff and plate. Now, in which of all these elegant rustles to appear, in her first Sabbath at Newton, was the solemn and important question that was weighing on the heart of the wife of the pastor-elect of the Regent Street Church. Clear and sweet sounded out the tones of the Sabbath bell, heeded by the minister in his study, who drew forth his watch with a startled air, and, mindful of sundry experiences in the past, sounded out his warning, Laura, you will be late. Well, pushing open the door an inch or two, 
If I am, it will be your own fault. You wouldn't tell me what to wear." "My dear, what does it matter? Wear anything." "Oh, yes, that is what you always say. What does it matter? It may not matter in the least to you, but I want to make a respectable appearance for my own sake, if not for yours." The door slammed just a little this time, and Mrs. Tresevant gave undivided attention to her gold-colored hair. It all ended in Mr. Tresevant hunting hurriedly and nervously for his list of hymns at the last minute, in his wife rushing forward to say, I do wish, Carol, you would leave that stupid sermon long enough to button my glove, in a desperate wrench at the troublesome buttons, which, with the perversity of their race, persisted in turning over and slipping under, and doing everything but allowing themselves to be placed in the hole made on purpose for them, in the final triumph of one of the wretches, that flew off to the floor and rolled under the table, in Mrs. Tresevant, very red and indignant, insisting on waiting to change her gloves, utterly scoffing at her husband's idea that three buttons on a glove were too much anyway, in Mr. Sayles below stairs, standing like a solemn sentinel of doom, rattling the door-handle, while his wife stood quietly by, waiting patiently, in a going back twice when they were halfway down the length of the hall, once for a handkerchief and once for the all-important sermon, while the bell tolled on exasperatingly, finally, in a frantic rush downstairs, a breathless gallop to church, and a brisk trot down the aisle, carrying flushed and disturbed faces, while the eyes of the assembled congregation looked them through. The pastor's pew in the Regent Street Church in Newton was the same that it was years before, but the row of little Mulfords who were wont to look up from it to their father's face was gone. No green velvet bonnet in winter, nor one a trifle the worse for wear in summer, would trouble the eyes of the fastidious in these matters for some time to come. The rustling blue silk that had finally won the day in the conflict on the bed spread its bright white-capped waves on either side, until you felt glad that there was no one else to occupy that pew. The bonnet was such a marvel of lace and ribbon, and rare and costly flowers, as none but a professional milliner would undertake to describe. In fact, little Mrs. Laura Tresevant, on that fair June day, would have done very well for an exquisite fashion plate to grace the first page of a superior fashion magazine. Who had the better right than she to all these elegant trifles? Was she not the only daughter of Esquire Burton? who was worth fifty thousand dollars? To be sure, she was unaware that the meek-faced little Mrs. Sayles, sitting in the next pew but one, clad in her modest suit of steely gray poplin, was the only daughter of Mr. Ralph Reed of New York City, whose real estate was worth five hundred thousand dollars. Nor yet that Mrs. Alec Tyndall, in the pew exactly behind hers, sat beside a husband who actually counted his wealth by millions." Nobody certainly could have imagined their different positions from the attire of these three ladies. So Mrs. Tresevant remained in blissful ignorance of the same, and buttoned her lemon-colored kids complacently, while the organ rolled its voluntary through the church. It was a good organ, and well played, exceedingly well played. Newtonians thought, and expected their pastor to take pride in the same. But he, truth to tell, had been accustomed for a long time to the skill and touch of Del Bronson, and she was counted a fine player, even in Boston, so the beauty of the music did not overwhelm him, as the organist intended it should. Music and prayer, and preliminary Bible reading being concluded, the clergyman announced his text. Of course you know what it was, that oft-repeated sentence so dear to the heart of every young minister, so unhesitatingly selected by them as the most appropriate of all texts for them to use for the first time in a new field. This while they were young. 
as the years go by the sermon is less often preached and when preached at all is first read over thoughtfully with many a conscientious pause as to whether he is sure enough of his own heart to boldly make such and such an assertion and there will be an erasure here and there and many interlinings until the sermon of which he was once so proud looks like a piece of patchwork and finally there comes a day when after a more thoughtful reading than usual the earnest pastor takes a loving look at that which was once so dear and opens the stove door and chucks it in remarking with a bit of a sigh as he watches it blaze up like pine shavings i know my own heart too well to preach that sermon any more no such experiences had as yet come to mr tresevant he announced his text in a clear and confident tone for i determined not to know anything among you save jesus christ and him crucified after the fashion of the aforesaid young ministers he ignored the fact that this was part of st paul's letter to the church at corinth after much of his blessed work among them had been accomplished not on the occasion of his first coming among them neither said he anything of st paul's preceding sentence and i brethren when i came to you came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom and not a whisper of the sentence following his text and i was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling they would not have been appropriate to the occasion well he certainly had a right to select the text he did as the exponent of the determination at which he arrived in coming among them if only it had been true if such had been his solemn fixed conscientious determination if he had come that morning from his closet to his pulpit thrilled permeated with the longing to know nothing among them save jesus christ and him crucified what a baptism might have descended from the crucified one upon that waiting pastor and people but he had not done any such thing ah you now think him a hypocrite a wolf in sheep's clothing worse than that in shepherd's clothing you are ready to shake your heads and cry a minister of all persons to be playing the hypocrite i thought he was some such person all the while and you sigh and look solemn and some of you away down in your secret hearts are actually pleased to discover that satan has secured so prominent a victim bless you he was nothing of the sort he was only like ever so many of you a poor lame halting christian let me tell you in a few words what manner of man he was if he had manufactured a text out of his heart to express an inmost truth and preached a truthful sermon that morning the text would have been for i determined not to know anything among you save myself first last and always not that he realized this truth oh no if he had he would have been startled shocked and saved if he had but known that he had lifted up his own exaggerated shadow between the cross and himself and was worshipping that he would have at once set about tearing it down he was sincere he thought he meant every word of that elaborately prepared sermon that he read to his people in impressive tones he would not have written a word of it had he imagined it to be false he would not have prayed over it as he had that very morning if he had not believed that it was the utterance of his heart but he did not realize that while he wrote instead of thrilling to his very fingertips with the solemnity of the sentence written he felt in his heart that that last was a very telling way of putting it and he did not seem to know that while he prayed for the baptism of the holy spirit his brain was busy conning over some of the phrases of that sermon which were especially important mr tresevant was not a disgustingly bombastic man if he had been i think he had so much sense that he would have disgusted himself and so been saved he was simply a man with a proud heart a man having one of those natures seemingly contradictory 
desirous of pleasing, nervously sensitive on the subject, so sensitive that he was sometimes willing to yield just a shade of right for the sake of pleasing, yet so nervously conscious of his own identity that he was never willing to yield an expressed opinion, even though he regretted in the next five minutes that any opinion had been expressed. You will see, as you come to know him better, how strangely this central idea of his crept in everywhere, twisting and warping and marring his life. As the congregation passed down the aisle, after the service was concluded, Mrs. Sayles passed Dr. Douglas, standing quite near the door, with a thoughtful, almost troubled look on his face. "'What do you think?' he asked her suddenly, and with a touch of almost anxiety in his voice. "'Fry determined not to know anything save Jesus Christ and him crucified,' she answered, smiling. "'That is what I think. That is what I am determined on reaching after.' His face cleared instantly. "'Thank you,' he said heartily. "'We can try for that. It had not touched me in that way. Thank you.' End of chapter 2 Recording by Tricia G.